May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. I've been commissioned to give an announcement at the beginning of the sermon, which is that there are still seats available at the front. So if you find yourself having to stand at the back, you could sit if you're willing to be in front. Miss, why are you crying? It was late on a Friday night about 10 years ago in New York City, and I'd been out with friends and heard bad news. And I was now alone in the back seat of a taxi cab, sobbing my eyes out. And the taxi driver didn't ignore me. He said, Miss, why are you crying? I had a moment of vanity. He called me Miss, not ma'am. But that question, Miss, why are you crying? Sounds a lot like the angels and Jesus today. Woman, why are you weeping? I told my taxi driver slash angel why I was crying and he showed his compassion in the only real way he could, giving me a paper towel to mop up my tears, and he got me home safely. It was one of those wonderful New York City moments where you become intimate with a stranger in an instant, a stranger who I'm sure was from a different country and of a different faith, and yet who blessed me by his capacity for compassion and caregiving. Woman, why are you weeping? Mary Magdalene's response to the questions posited by Jesus and the angels about why she is crying are interesting. Now, Mary doesn't say she's crying because her rabbi has been killed. It seems perhaps that those tears have already been shed. The reality that Jesus has been executed has sunk in. She's weeping today because on top of all of that, His body has been stolen. She had a ministry, a final act of love in caring for his body and properly anointing it and wrapping it for burial and giving him the dignity that was stolen from him on the cross. And that ministry, that calling, has been stolen from her. And that is why she is weeping. They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Mary is in a dark place of grief and confusion. The gospel passage begins early on the first day of the week. While it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb. In the gospel of John, when the author writes, it is dark, it has nothing to do with the position of the sun. Darkness in John's gospel is cosmic, spiritual, moral, and intellectual. It is dark because Mary Magdalene and Peter and the beloved disciple and in the entire world do not yet know that Jesus has been raised from the dead. But it will not be dark for long. As John's gospel proclaims in the first chapter, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not overcome it. Light will triumph today. But first, it is dark. And as so often true in the world, there is confusion and a lot of running around and rumors. Both male disciples are still in darkness as they leave the tomb. It's not until Mary, 
who has stayed at that tomb waiting and kneeling and weeping, that light begins to dawn. Jesus says, Mary, and then she knows. She knows who this is. It's not a gardener, it's Jesus. And she exclaims, Rabuni, teacher. And she must have just fallen to the ground and grabbed his feet, the hem of his robe, and held on. And her tears of grief have changed to tears of joy. And it is light. The light dawns for those who are weeping and grieving in faith. The light dawns for those who are tenacious in their suffering and who don't give up and go home and settle for just the way things are. Mary knows that she has that calling to care for Jesus' body, and she knows that she will not rest until she has convinced someone, whether an angel or a gardener or anybody else, that they will show her where her Lord is laying. And by following that calling, she discovers an even greater calling. Mary Magdalene is known as the Apostle to the Apostles, the Apostolorum Apostola, the first person to carry the news of the resurrection and then share that light with another person. May we all have that tenacity in our passion for caring for those we love, for those who have suffered, for those who have died. Mary cannot change the reality that Jesus has been unjustly executed, but she can keep her ministry going and return some measure of dignity to his body. Peter and the beloved disciple do not share that calling, and so when they go home today, they're still in darkness, perplexed, and not feeling like they can do anything. They feel hopeless and helpless. And those feelings of hopelessness and helplessness because of the darkness of the world and being unable to see how light could possibly dawn is not unfamiliar to us 2,000 years later. What has brought you to tears this year? What would the angel or Jesus or the taxi driver, what would cause them to say to you, woman, person, man, Why are you weeping? Sometimes we are called to be the person who asks that question, who shows the compassion, who notices the suffering of another person. Sometimes we are the person who is doing the suffering. And it is hard sometimes to offer solace and comfort constructively while still being faithful to the Prince of Peace The response of the gospel to suffering and injustice is that Jesus does not rise unscathed and unscarred. Open wounds mark his hands and feet and side, as John's gospel will make very clear in the story of his interaction with Thomas next week. Jesus bears the marks of his suffering on his very body and still rises to bring us with him. The marks of suffering on our very bodies may be just as visible. And yet, we still show our faith in the one who has been crucified. And we have to sit sometimes in the suffering. If we just go home after seeing the empty tomb while we are in darkness, 
if we turn off the news or leave those who are suffering alone, if we don't wait at the tomb and demand dignity and compassion for those who are victims, and we remove ourselves then from the opportunity of meeting Jesus and having our tears turn to joy and laughter. We are called as Christians to follow in Mary Magdalene's footsteps and bear witness, to wait at the tomb and weep for as long as it takes until we can greet the risen Lord when he comes and proclaims that at death life is changed and not ended. Friday night at the Olney Gallery in the art gallery here at the cathedral, there's an art show still going on, you can see it after church, of Artisans Beyond Borders, which are mantas embroidered by people who are waiting to cross the border from the Mexican side into the United States claiming asylum. And if you look at these mantas and the bordaderos who have done them, they are beautiful and they are full of hope and faith and promise and excitement for what will be and also are full of suffering and loss and grief for what has been left behind. On Friday, we heard for the story of some of the people who, were, who are now on the U.S. side. And, you know, the question of, you know, woman, why are you weeping, is woven into those very pieces of fabric, as is the faith that by that weeping and by that tenacity to understand that life need not be only suffering and murder and violence, that there is a different way to live, they have come here in that faith. There is much for us to learn from those stories. And part of it is the way that we care for and honor those who have died. You can see that in the mantas. I also have an icon of that that reminds me of it on my prayer desk in my office. It's an icon of, um, in honor of the, uh, in memory of the execution of 21 Egyptian Coptic Christians in Libya in 2015. And almost immediately after that horrible execution, an artist named Tony Rezik wrote an icon of those martyrs that was stunning. It's in the style of a traditional Orthodox icon, and the 21 men in orange robes are kneeling on the sand. And they're being greeted in heaven by Jesus and two angels who are giving them crowns and shouting, Oxios, the Greek word for worthy. And the image in its wide sharing was a way of remembering the lives lost and gathering support to stop such violence in the future. That way of caring for those who have died reminds me of Mary Magdalene's presence outside the tomb. The dignity and honor that was not afforded those men in life was being offered in death in the way that the artist could. Each name was listed on a paper that came with the icon that we might say their names and chant axios for each one in prayer. I keep it on my desk to remind me of the power of faith to carry us beyond death and into eternal life and glory. And it is in those moments of grief and injustice and violence and persecution that sometimes it is hard to laugh or sing or celebrate. But we do, today with Christians all over the world, Christians who live in privilege and safety and peace and Christians who live in violence and oppression all over are shouting Alleluia today 
because we are God's children. And as Jesus says to Mary, I am going to my Father and to your Father, to my God and your God. Our Father, our God knows each of us by name and calls us by that name that we may turn and face him and say, Rabuni, teacher. And in response, when we make that turn, the heavens will proclaim, Axios, worthy. And we will say, Alleluia. Amen.